Shut up and sit down. By all means, go for it. Have fun. Just leave me alone. People are coming together more and more and more and more as the government has been failing us more and more. I'm against being shitty to people. You can't research your way into understanding somebody. One way or another, I'd rather have the fight now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fight for Liberty show. I forgot to adjust my camera before we started, so there's that. Uh, today we have a really awesome guest, a really awesome episode. I'm super excited. Uh, first, I'm going to tell you real quick about one of our awesome sponsors, Nug of Knowledge. I talk about them in almost every video. Uh, you can go onto their website, nugofknowledge.com, and check out all of the great cannabis products that they have. Uh, they have some THC flour, CBG flour. Uh, we've got Delta 8 THC uh, cartridges. Lots of awesome stuff over there at Nug of Knowledge. Use promo code F4L to get 10% off your first purchase. And you help me out. You help the network out. You help uh, other awesome libertarians that you know and love out. And and you also get to get high. So it's a win-win-win all the way around. Uh, so go on over to Nug of Knowledge and check that out. Today, we are joined by one of my f- absolute favorite libertarians. He was our vice presidential nominee he is a hero on every airplane that he is ever on, and he is also really awesomely a very consistent contributor on Kennedy, who's one of my like the only mainstream media that I watch. So the one, the only Spunk Conan is here on the it's show. Me. It's me. Thank you. I will. It was me. It almost. Was it was. It you. was me. I was almost there. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this special early worm episode of Fights and Hymns at Mike Fights and Schmidt for Liberty. Um, uh, this, so, does there, I mean, is that like a widespread thing? Everyone knows that I'm the, the, the hero on every flight that I'm on. I, I don't know if that's a widespread thing, but I want it, I want it to be a widespread I, I, I thing. I want it, I want people to know me as that. I'm sick of Tash's husband. I now want to be the hero of every flight. So, um, I typically pick the exit row um, when mm-hmm. I when when we're picking our flights. I fly. If you count each segment, I fly usually four times a week. You know, t- the whatever two flights it takes to get to wherever I'm going. Sometimes three because I'm in Myrtle Beach and we don't have direct flights to anywhere. No. Uh, if we're doing an event in Charlotte, I'll be there in in one flight. That's about it. Um, and then however many flights it takes to get back. So usually about four flights a week. I'm on a lot of flights. And um, because of that, I have all these reward points. So I, I'm high up in the American Airlines reward tier, uh, which means that when they cancel the flight, they put me in a hotel. Uh, so that's been helpful in the past few, uh, the, 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 the past couple months. But it also means that I get preferred seating. So I get to pick my seating and I don't have to pay extra for any of the main cabin seating. So I always pick the exit row because it typically has more leg room. Um, and, uh, and, uh, also technically it's also in the, typically in the middle of the plane, um, which means that you, uh, uh, it, there's less turbulence cause you're at the wing where it stabilizes, but that's a whole other thing. Um, so I picked the exit row and for anyone who's ever sat in the exit row twice when they first let you on the plane. And then this other time when they make a whole big deal of it, they're like, in the event of an emergency, 
are you ready and able to save everyone's life? And some of them are really, um, and really all they ask you to do is, is to open the door and to help people get out if they're unable to do so themselves. And to please read that thing. I've never read that. Actually, one time I read it on one plane. And so they always ask you that. Like, will you, will you, do you agree to do this in if this plane crashes, which hasn't happened in like 13 or 14 years in the US or some ridiculous? Thing. And so every time I look them in the eye, because they just, they want you to say yes. And I look them in the eye and I say, I will not rest until every person on this airplane is safe at home with their families. And I, 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 I try to ramp it up a little each time. I started doing this during the campaign. And every time they do this, every once in a while, they'll say, actually, so during when there was no one else on the plane, like during the COVID and the lockdowns last year, when like no one else was flying, they would mm -hmm. just like roll their eyes and go, okay. Now they're like, I need a verbal yes. As though I would say that and then not help everyone if it actually came to it right like right my saying yes is the difference between whether i actually mean it or not but yeah so i i pledge to save hundreds of people's lives multiple times a week nice nice i actually got like randomly upgraded on my last flight i was flying back from mexico and i i just bought like the cheapest ticket so I was like way in the back in, in the a middle seat. Uh, and I go to go back to my seat and there's this random kid in my seat. And I just kind of like, I'm just kind of standing there awkwardly. Cause I don't really know how to handle that situation about how to go up to like an eight year old child and be like, bitch, you in my Get seat, my move. Seat. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. And there just happened to be like a flight attendant that was like handling the person that was sitting in front of them or something. So he just looked up at me. He was like, what? But see, and I told him, and he looked, saw the kid, looked at me, looked back at the kid, and he was like, actually, do you have a problem being in an exit row? And I was like, hell no, <laughs> please. No. Oh, and he way took better. me down. Well, there was apparently no one on that flight wanted to be on the, in the exit row. There was only, of the, there was both exit rows, and there was only, I think, three total people in, like, all of those 12 chairs. Yeah, yeah. Super weird. So they didn't want to answer the question. Apparently. Because they'll make you get off that, that out of that seat if you won't answer the question. Like, yeah. if, you, if you won't say yes, I am willing, ready and willing and able to assist, blah, 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 blah. Then they're like, you got to go. Now, mm -hmm. that's never, there was one time, I've never had anyone say no on any of these flights. But I did have one lady who was like, Wait, so what is it exactly I have to do? And he said, man, please just say a verbal yes. And she's like, yes. And then he he walked off because it was like, nothing's going to happen. Like, just say yes so we can go and fly the plane. Like, <laughs> this is a booked flight. I don't want, like, you were supposed to read the thing if you had any questions. Because he said that. If you have any questions, read the thing. So she's like, what does it say I have to? So, lady, you don't have to do anything. Go to bed. Go to sleep. <laughs> and, you, you know, you, you have plenty of leg room. We'll wake you up when we get there. Like, don't worry about it. Just say yes, so we can all go about our our our, our destination. Um, the crazy thing is, from what I've heard from people who've actually been in plane crashes, they're like, they don't really want you to. They want you to knock the door off and jump out and get out of everyone's way. Like, that's really all you're doing is opening a door and yeeting it out the window. Like, that's really it. There's no. 
there's no like this whole oh help there's no one everyone's scrambling off the plane especially like in a water yeah. landing the plane's slowly sinking and we're all trying to get off so we don't die in a plane no one's oh well you please help it's everyone get the hell out of the way like i mean air, yeah. you, you see so if you for those who have been on airplanes that you know you, you land and everyone's trying to get off when you think of how crowded that is, and that's just everyone being impatient. They want to get there and wait at baggage check for another 20 minutes. Think about if you don't want to die on the plane. No one wants help. They want you to get out of their way. So, What I'm confused yeah. about is why it only in the emergency circumstance that, like you said, hasn't happened in a while, do they actually try to use more than one door? Like, why can't we do that more often? Wow. Just knock everything open. Get out. Get out of the plane. How much more fun would that be if every time that you got off a plane, you got to bust out the exit door and slide down the slide? Oh, go down the slide and everything? Yeah. As long as they can, like, I guess, deflate it and put it back up, I don't really care. That would be yeah. cool. <laughs> That's funny. No, that would be a good idea. It, it would, although I'll, I'll tell you something, everyone, it would be a mad panic dash. It's like the one thing that kind of keeps everyone in control is they're like, where are you going? <laughs> I can tell when people are new, like they don't fly often because mm -hmm. when I'm in the extra row, I don't even get up until it's like two, maybe two rows in front of me start moving. Cause I'm like, we're oh, just yeah. sitting here and guess what guys ever watch, watch this, this next group, this next, they're going to get up and they're going to get their bags and they're going to like, it's not, you, you, it's not your turn and you get to just like run out because there's still people walking out behind like in front of you. Like just, mm -hmm. just take it easy. Yeah. The only thing I'm into the uh, fight in Cohen, uh, how to, tips. how to fly, um, how to fly with David and spike <laughs> noon special noontime yeah. special. All right. So um, I guess I'll, I'll go get into my first like really serious question then. Uh, <laughs> So, with all of your traveling, I'm sure you've you've yes. eaten at a at a lot of of great uh, restaurants and uh, especially breakfast themed restaurants. So, I'm curious, which is worse, IHOP or Denny's? Denny's is arguably the worst restaurant on the planet, and as a chain, and it's not necessarily that their food is the worst. It's that they're blatant liars. And I'm going to explain what that means to all of you. When in June of 2018, I go to the Denny's in Wilmington, North Carolina. It doesn't matter which Denny's it is. They all have the same menu. And they give me a menu. And I'm looking at it and trying to figure out what I want to eat. And one of the menu items is wild Alaskan salmon. And it has a picture of it. And the wild Alaskan salmon was like $11.99 or $12.99 for the meal. So for anyone who knows anything about salmon, they already know what the problem is. For the rest of you, I'm going to explain it. First of all, the picture of this salmon, it was like, I don't even have anything around me that's, it's like a pinkish white. Um, so it might have been salmon, but it certainly wasn't alaskan like alaskan salmon if you look at the red of this spike cohen and, and and david fight it's at least that red and sometimes even deeper red it's that red after it's cooked and it's like a blood red beat like a like a almost like a, a blood orange red before it's cooked so already i knew they were lying 
But then it really, I, I, because I'm OCD, I dwelled on it. And I realized, why did you do this? It's obvious this isn't Wild Alaskan Smoked Salmon. And then here's what really got me, folks. $12.99, no one thinks that it's you're going to be able to offer Wild Alaskan Salmon as a meal for that price. But it, it's worse than that. Your Denny's. You, did no one... No one expects something like wild Alaskan salmon at Denny's. This is not a value add. People go to Denny's, you know, because they're they're drunk. They want or it's late. Uh, you know, I, I was there at two in the morning because I've been at a uh, dance thing all night, a salsa dance event, and I went with my wife and, and two friends of ours. People go there because they're the only thing open, and or they want to get some wings or some breakfast or they just whatever. Usually they're trying to just escape a hangover or or get over a hangover or or sober up or whatever. There's no right. value add here. They're just so by saying they have wild Alaskan salmon, they're literally just lying for the sake of lying. And it it's just, you know, I told the the waitress and she said, I, I can talk to the manager. I said, You don't need to, because he's been told the same lie you have. And you know, you've just been conditioned to believe that this is wild Alaskan salmon. She's like, I can look at the container. I said, the container's going to say wild Alaskan salmon. It's a gigantic cynical lie. And um, I encouraged her to walk out with me, but she wouldn't. That's a shame. Yeah. <clears throat> so so you think that the uh, the lying about the salmon trumps any any bad quality that uh, that IHOP has? To me, I would, I would probably agree. To me, to me, it's about the it's about trust. Mm -hmm. And um, also, I like that at IHOP they have like seventeen different syrups. Mm. I like that. I think that's I, I I get the gimmick. It's gimmicky, but it's and I mean it's really all. I don't know if any of them are actual syrup, um, but uh, maybe they are. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, I like the gimmick. Mm. It's it's true to what it's like. We're you know because we're international. These are all the different syrups around the world, and it's not. It's just different flavors. But it's it's. <laughs> It's it's the whole. It's like because we're internet. Like I like that. I like a nice gimmick. But yeah. But that this goes past gimmick, and it's not even a to brand get Denny's. You know Denny's where you can get you know eggs and and pancakes and 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 wings and and a two dollar three dollar quesadilla or whatever and wild Alaskan salmon. And if you do reviews of wild Alaskan salmon, we can make this whole episode about wild Alaskan salmon at Denny's because this is a, a point of contention. I'm I've been aware. fighting this for quite some time, and I, I encourage all of you to join me on Twitter by routinely adding Denny's and uh, and asking them to hashtag stop the lies. Um, that's what I've been trying to do. I've called them. I've emailed them. I've been pretty insufferable about it because I... And if I do ever run for national office again, I, I will make a point of, of it being a major part of my campaign, really any office, a campaign platform that Denny's needs to stop lying about this. And we're going to mm -hmm. we're going to shine light on it. Um, that's a really that's that that is what people really want from a presidential candidate is someone that will call out the bullshit of of a large Dennis. faux diner uh, chain that you know will really stick it to the man so i think that would be a great message i'm sick of big diners lies and i i'm just sick of it i'm sick i'm sick of of you know 
Oh, look at us. We're your hometown store or hometown restaurant. No, you're not. You're Denny's. And also, yeah. you know, don't lie about what's on your menu. It's, it makes me sick. Except you might get accused of some foul play there because, you know, if you're shitting on Denny's, but you're bought out by the Waffle House lobby, you know, that's kind of conflict of interest. There has been a very, very scurrilous and disgusting series of accusations against me that the reason that I campaigned during the uh, Libertarian Party's nomination contest uh, on a platform of, among other things, putting a Waffle House on every corner, um, that that was some kind of double dipping on my part as the chair, the all-star special of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. But I think it's important for everyone to know that this had nothing to do with that. It was not about the potentially trillions of dollars I would make in doing this. It was about jobs and it was about food availability. If every building on every corner has to be torn down, whatever's there, home, business, daycare, school, hospital, whatever, and replaced with a Waffle House, uh, just imagine the amount of construction jobs alone before you get into all the other jobs related to that. I mean, that's, that's a gigantic, gigantic uh, uh, stimulus economy spending there. Um, mm-hmm. Big boost to, to jobs. Uh, and then the availability of, of, of good-ish cheap food um, would help to stabilize uh, and lower uh, food prices. Um, and also because of the Waffle House Index and their ability to uh, be better prepared for storms. This part's actually true. Uh, better prepared for storms than even FEMA is. Um, the uh, uh, This would lead to uh, very good emergency preparedness across the country. We'd never mm. have to worry about a natural. Yeah. Yeah. And That's so really when the point. Yellowstone, when Yellowstone, Mount, uh, when, uh, what is it? Old Faithful uh, has its super eruption and whatever that is with the volcano, um, we'll all be okay. I'll be okay. So that's what that was about. It has nothing to do with me becoming the richest person on earth. And it's a disgusting allegation that I would even care that about that. I don't money's right. you know, money's not even important to me. Not at all. No. It's uh so that's actually a, it's a good segue, uh talking about the Is the it? V- the VP race and your platform, because I want to talk about a little bit, a little bit about how you got brought into that race and then what it was like to be running alongside the great Vermin Supreme. Vermin Supreme is incredible. I've been following him since either 2008 or 2012 when I first heard of him, because you see there's a guy in New Hampshire every election cycle during the primaries. He's got a boot on his head and I'm like, Huh, that's interesting. And then find out more about him. He actually is using this as a way to try to spread a serious message that these people are all lying to you. They're all performing. You know they're performing. You know they're lying. You're literally trying to figure out whose lies you find the most comforting and you agree with the most. So you can say, well, at least he said he was going to do this, or at least she said she was going to do that. And it's like, but you knew it was BS. Like, you knew it was a lie, right? Um, so he's like, all right, well, then I'll be the most entertaining and tell the most, you know, glorious lies. I'm going to give you free energy by harnessing the zombies. I'm going to give everyone free ponies. I'm going to give everyone, you know, a toothbrush. And then it turns out he has a book 
called I Pony, which is a warning from the future about why he should never be elected. And the underlying <laughs> tale, the underlying tale behind it. And if you read, you know, it's it's a very intense book. I'm not. It's a very intense book. Don't get let your kids read it, uh, even though it has drawings in it. You don't want them to see those drawings. Um, but I've uh, never heard of this book, and I I'm Pony, very you've never heard of I Pony. I, no, how I don't know how no one's told me about this. I Pony is a dystopian future tale about what happens when Vermin Supreme becomes president. And so, for example, everyone's going to get a free pony. He's not going to do that by increasing the number of ponies. He's going to do that through a mass culling of humans. Many of them are going to turn into zombies. And so they're going to try to harness them for power. But that blows up in everyone's face, too. And the whole premise behind this book, the, the entertainment, and the, the I can't believe I'm reading this. The premise is politicians' promises and plans lead to disaster because they have no idea what they're doing, but they're using the force of law to force everyone into this arrangement because they tried to promise it to people. So the best thing that can happen is if a politician says, I'm going to do this, and then they just don't. They just forget it. But that's probably the best thing because if they actually try to do it be, through central planning, they're going to destroy everything. So this is an inherently you know, libertarian. It's a weird way of presenting it, but I mean, Vermin's that kind of guy. It's a dystopian tale that's the underlying message is the same as his campaigning. Stop electing liars and stop voting for people that are, oh, I'm going to give you everything in the world. No, they're not. They're going to just ruin everything in the process. So mm -hmm. I just thought that was incredible. And so I've been following him for a while. And then when he sprinkled uh, uh, glitter or confetti on uh, that politician that uh, and said, I'm making him gay. And I, just the whole <laughs> thing, I'm like, this guy has decided not to take this seriously at all. But in doing so, he's really sending out this message that this whole system is is bullshit. Like it, there's it's it's I'm I'm sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this program. But oh, uh of course. <laughs> it's gosh darn BS. It's a hoot nanny is what it is. And so <laughs> so he uh so I I've been fascinated by this guy. And then in 2019 he announced he was running for the Libertarian Party uh nomination at first i'm like oh ah, yeah no he's, he's gonna gonna do the thing and then it's like no he's serious he has a campaign team he wants to be the nominee he believes that he'll be able to as a actual serious candidate use his way of messaging to bring people in and i'm like i'm scared and and so but i kept following it and then i had him on my show and after talking with him and after seeing his other interviews i thought you know, this could work like this could this could potentially the Libertarian Party doesn't get attention. Like we saw right. that last year with me and Joe, even with Gary, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, two former governors, two former Republicans. They have all this Beltway media clout They're They're using every they're calling in every favor they have. And they were able to get three percent of the vote. Not even five percent, not even one out of 20 people. Then, you know, me and Joe, who we didn't have the Beltway clout and all of that stuff, we literally just hit the ground running and, and you know, went on bus tours and went around the country and got in front of as many people as possible. And we get, what, 1.3%, 1 1.2%, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know that in this environment that any libertarian could get more than, say, four or five. Let's even say we get some celebrity libertarian. They get six, seven percent. And, you know, 
the the and and more importantly, if you're not bringing people into why you sh they should vote libertarian to begin with, you know, we got a bunch of Gary Johnson voters. How many of them stuck around afterwards? Not a mm -hmm. lot because they we weren't building a movement. So I could start to see it. I thought, you know, Vermin's a very odd way to do this, but maybe that's what we need. And so uh and and so I said, okay, you know, I'm I'm staying officially neutral, but I, I can see how this will work. Um and so then Vermin we, we uh, then Vermin came down to the South Carolina convention um, and uh, and uh, me and my co-owner of Muddy Waters Media, Matt Wright, shared an Airbnb with him and his Southeast coordinator because he had a Southeast coordinator like it was a serious campaign. He had mm -hmm. one of the most well put together teams of anyone running for the nomination, which was the most incredible thing. He had like 20 people on, on like a full time volunteer team. Yeah, and the most uh, put together team in the primary I mean, I guess maybe Hornberger might have had something better, but I he, think he uh, had a bigger staff than anyone else. He had the the he had the biggest team. Hornberger certainly had a lot of great uh, coordination through the mm -hmm. through the Mises Caucus, obviously. Right. Um, but in terms of a dedicated team, I I think that that Vermin's was the largest. I, I would say it would either be between Vermin and 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 and, and Jacob. Um, mm -hmm. But we also like the Team Supreme raised like uh, uh, close to, I think, $200,000 during the, 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 the primary seat or whatever we call it, the nomination contest, uh, selling merchandise. Um, yeah. And I, I think there, so anyway, so after we hung out in South Carolina, uh, like a week or so later, uh, he and his team reached out to me and said, how'd you like to be Vermin's VP? And I'm like, wait, uh, I'm... I, so I, I gave every reason that I shouldn't because I never considered doing such a thing. And I'm like, well, first of all, why do you want me? And they're like, well, you get it. And you're good at explaining our beliefs. And so we can play this sort of, you know, good, uh, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, serious guy, clown guy, you know, Vermin can be the one telling the jokes and you can come in and be like, that's right, Vermin. And then and then explain what it is he's saying to normies um, mm -hmm. and, and to people or not even to normies, but people that don't quite get that. They, they don't get that there's something past the immediate satire they're looking at. Yeah. And, uh, um, and they said, and I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm an ANCAP. Like I'm, I'm pretty far on the right. And I know Vermin's more of kind of a, a market anarchist. He calls himself a rainbow anarchist, but basically like a, a market <laughs> anarchist slash mutualist type thing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it balances the ticket out. And I'm like, Okay. And so I, and, and so we went through this whole thing. We were like, you know, basically trying to give every reason why he should pick someone else. And uh, it eventually reached a point where I'm like, I was a real jerk to my girlfriend in the eighth grade. And I had another girl call her to break up with her. And they're like, well, that's terrible, but you were also in the eighth grade and we're not going to hold that against you. Well, I did a and I'm like, well, I did apologize. And she's like, okay, well, as long as you apologize. Like, they, it, I'm, I'm like trying to tell them, like, I was arrested <laughs> once or whatever. And they're like, we've all been arrested. And I'm like, all right. I, I once did a website. And they're like, we, we, were all, we were all strippers. I'm like, this is the wrong team to vet me. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is, this is. This is the wrong group for me to, to decide if I'm politically palatable. Um, so anyway, I, uh, so I, um. All this to say that I, um, I so I so I joined, and ultimately, you know, the, the crazy thing was, what ultimately got kept Vermin from getting the nomination was what Vermin said from the beginning. If the party, he, he said, I'm I'm presenting 
a radical departure from what anyone has ever proposed for a serious run for president. I'm literally going to put a boot on my head and walk around with that gigantic toothbrush and act like a giant buffoonish clown for six months, five months, however long we have to, to campaign. And I'm going to have someone with me who's going to be, you know, engaging in some of the silliness, but then immediately shifting to, you know, telling people about uh, about liberty. And and if you're cool with that, we'll get way more votes than any other ticket is going to get. And I do believe we would have gotten way more votes and way more attention. There's no way the media could not have paid attention to the fact that the third largest political party in the country elected or, or, or uh, nominated for the top of the ticket. Uh, a a self-styled wizard from the future who's going to give everyone ponies and, and like there's no there's no way they couldn't even just to deride it they had to have given us attention and in the midst of that we could have reached so many more people but mm -hmm. what vermin said is you're going to be the party of the guy with the boot on his head not just in this election but for quite some time you have to be okay with that mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to pivot from it because we're not all going to be out here being clowns. Most of the vast majority of us want to be serious candidates, right? Um, so you have to have that pivot because they're inevitably, inevitably going to be like, what about Vermin Supreme? What about the guy with the boot on his head? And you have to either go, oh man, that guy's great. You know, when he talks about ponies, he's, you know, that's a perfect uh, uh, example of blah, blah, blah. And whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, or you go, oh God, I hate that guy. I wish we had never run him. I want to run a serious campaign. I want to talk about blah, blah, blah. You have to pivot. Whatever your pivot is, you have to do it. You can't just say, I don't want to talk about that, which is how some chose to do it. And that's not smart. But the right. um, he said, if you aren't willing to do that for the next few election cycles, not just this one, don't pick me. Yep. And so the delegates decided that was that, you know, and I talked to a lot of people. They loved Vermin. They loved what he was doing. They're glad he's part of the movement. They didn't want that at the top of the ticket. And and he was, you know, he, he completely respected that. And, you know, he's still doing incredible stuff. I'm actually going to be with him in Montgomery, Alabama. We're doing a, a, pre, a press conference and rally for justice to try to uh, highlight some of the, the absolute nightmares that are happening in Alabama right now with certificate of need laws and criminal justice problems. Um, and uh, and how they're, you know, instead of allowing for there to be more options on the ballot so that they their their terrible uh, uh, nonsense they've put together can be dismantled and replaced with a viable alternative. They're fighting to keep everyone else off the ballot, including the Libertarian Party. And, you know, right. he's coming down uh, on his own dime to talk to people about that. And I, I think that's incredible. So, you know, I'm glad he's in the movement, but the, the delegates made their choice and we both respected it. Mm hmm. I'm I'm excited for that event. I'm also possibly going to be there. Ooh. So you should come. You should yeah. come. Um should come. I will I will be seeing you this weekend in Columbus for sure. Oh nice. Uh, awesome. Yeah. That's right, because I'm gonna be in Columbus, Ohio for the yeah. 2021 Libertarian Party of Ohio conference. And then on Sunday I'm speaking at the Accountability Now Ohio. Uh, press conference and rally. We're doing some kind of rally and press conference thing. Nice. Yes. And also, if you guys want to go through an escape room, yes, with Spike Cohen, yes, um, reach out to Chrissy Witchers because yes. that's a thing that we're going to be doing. I'm going to be trapped in a room with this man, and it's going to be fun. 
we're going to get out together. If for no other yeah. reason than eventually they let you out. <laughs> you if you can't make it. Although I've, I've always been... wondered that. Like, how long can you make it last? Because, like, there's an argument of, like, uh, you know, you want to, like, get your money's worth out of it. So, you know, maybe you kind of go a little bit slower and... Like, could you could you just spend like twelve hours in the escape room if it if it takes you that long to get out? Like, what? No, it's it's timed. So there's actually a timer, mm. or at least the ones I've done. There's a timer, and I think you can actually pay for. I think there are ones that are like one hour and ones that are like two hours, and the ones that are two hours are more complex and have more stuff you have to do. So you can pay for more time, but it's wow. timed, and you're looking at it, and and someone over the speaker will sometimes remind you now. Often, if you're close, they'll start giving you hints. Um, so I've always uh, escaped from every escape room I've been in. But I, I would be, I'd be, because I'm, I'm the ideal person, right? <laughs> like I, I, everything I ace, I, I, I win at everything I do, uh, except running for vice president. But I came in third. <laughs> I came in third. It's not bad. And I got the nomination. You did. Which that was. That was the only one that was really possible, honestly. So, I mean, and then I, I did that and I was as surprised as anyone else. But um, I, you know, I, I, I ace the escape rooms because I nail everything, you know. Hey, Spike, throw an opening pitch at a baseball game. All right, I'll throw a heater down the middle and pitch a shutout. That's what I do. That's what I do. But with the, with the, the escape room... I would be lying if I said that there weren't a couple like hints that I we were our team was our group was given, mm -hmm. uh, but we, we we get out of there. We'll get out of there. Anyone who's coming with me to the escape room, we're gonna get out of there together. Right. I will. So we I will won't need any of those pesky hints. We got. Them. No, God, no, no. We're gonna go in there and be like, uh, just take that key. We're out of here. That's not how it works. But we're 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 going to go in. I will not rest. I'm gonna treat this like an airplane. I will not rest until every single participant in the escape room with me is safe at home, tucked into bed with their families. And that's, I know that's a commitment because some people don't have families and some people don't have beds and we'll, we'll get that specific. We will find you a family. We will get you a bed and we'll get you right, right in there with them. <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> so uh so going into that, it's the, that kind of, it's, a, it's a really comprehensive escape room yeah ah <laughs> uh, so going into uh the nomination uh yes. where was your where's your confidence level uh as far as like did you did you think going into the convention that you might leave the vp nominee was that like in your head or was it kind of a shock like it was for joe <laughs> so <laughs> so by the uh i wasn't gonna say it uh by the um by the actual day of i was fairly confident i was going to get it because i had multiple people who were like we've done whip counts you're gonna be like third or fourth ballot and sure enough i was um i think it was third ballot um and uh, I also had talked with Ken Armstrong. Uh, uh, actually, it was that day that I talked with him and I was like, so you want to do a thing like if uh, whichever one of us uh, gets eliminated first, 
that you know we we endorse each other whichever whichever one of us uh, gets eliminated for it first endorses the other one and and ken was like i was gonna do that anyway and i'm like get me too so now we know it uh so um yeah so so i felt pretty confident that going in uh because at that point ken was the um was the um the prag caucus nominee for vice president and i'm like all right so if i if i go down first um I'll endorse Ken and, and he can be have it. And I think he would have done it. I think, can you imagine Ken as the VP candidate? I think Ken would have done a fantastic job. Oh, yeah. um, the um, I, I love Ken. Ken's a little mm-hmm. bit more on the moderate side policy wise, but in terms of like relatability and, and getting the message out there, and he's still a very principled libertarian. And, um, uh, and I, of course <laughs> I love him, him and, him and Don. I love him. And you can't not in, listen to him when he talks. Like he has just voice. one of the most commanding presences and and then yeah the voice on top the of it the voice i'm can i can't even i can't even try in hurting my throat to try to make that voice another <laughs> neither can anyone but him uh i did a debate with him and larry sharp mm-hmm. and uh i remember it was for the mises caucus and afterwards uh in their group they had a a, a poll of who do you think won it and i and I, I won the poll but in the comments people were going Ken's voice won the the uh, the debate, and they're like, or they'll be like, you know, Spike won the debate, or Larry won the debate, or Ken won, whoever they thought won won the debate. But more importantly, we need Ken to narrate the campaign. Whoever wins, he needs to be the narrator. I'm like, I actually don't disagree with that. So, uh, no, I love Ken, but so no, going in that day, I was fairly confident that unless I did something stupid, uh, um, that I was, you know, I, I was I was going to get it, and mm-hmm. um, but it was. Every day before, so I went into, just keep in mind, I went into this as the proposed running mate of the guy with the boot on his head, okay? There are pictures of me on the internet looking serious and posing with Vermin also looking serious in New Hampshire where he's wearing a boot and I'm holding a pony's head on a stick. And like, this was a real thing. And I remember like, when I went to my, when I went to Tasha, when I went to my wife with this and I was like, yeah, Vermin, you know, wants me to be his VP running mate. And she's like, oh, that'll be fun. You'll have fun going around being silly with him. And I said, yeah, okay, but if I got the nomination, here are the things that could happen. And she's like, you're running with Vermin Supreme. And I'm like, it could happen. And she's like, sure. Yeah. You, cause I, I wouldn't have done it if she had been like, no, I don't want you to do it. But she's like, yeah, no, go have fun for a few months. And I'm like, all right, but you know, I'll be on a 50 state tour and you know, people will love you. I I, I said everything that would happen because everyone who meets Tasha falls in love with her. I'm like, she's amazing. Love you and people are gonna want to know about you and they're gonna want you to go places, they're gonna be flying you around. Literally, I told her this like November of 2019. Okay. I, I told her all this stuff was gonna happen. And if we if I get it, and she's like, and it's a long-term thing, you know, even after the the campaign, they're gonna be like, please stick around, blah, 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 blah. You know, don't, don't, you know, leave us like every other libertarian presidential and vice presidential candidate. And 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 she's like, You're running with vermin. They're like, yeah, but you know, blah, blah, blah. They could pick me. And she's like, and and especially going into it, she's like, Well, they're not gonna pick you now. You had a, a pony head on a stick. I'm like, it's a it's a it's a plot device. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we're and I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. So, you know, I'm like, someone else is going to come in who's better, more well-known than me, and that's going to be it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I said, uh, my what I'm going to do, if nothing else, separate from my saying why I think Vermin is the ideal pick in this cycle, 
um, at, at the very least, a cycle where we're bound to not get any attention, um, is I'm going to present a different way of doing this. I am going to go to some conventions, but I'm also going to do like college campus tours online and in person. I'm going to do door knocking tours and ho uh, housing projects. And, and uh, Jacob Hornberger actually uh, joined me one of the times that we did it. I'm going to show libertarians this is how we get the message out there. Like we're, and, and I'm not going to wait to be the nominee to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the New Hampshire primaries and interact with, to this day, that's the most number of people I've ever interacted with um, was during the New Hampshire primaries. Imagine if, if our nominee was, was doing that kind of thing, but anyway, yeah. whole other subject. Uh, the, um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so the, um, but anyway, uh, the, uh, so in doing that, but I thought I'm going to show up and I'm going to be like, Hey everyone, you know, we're going to go back in time and kill baby Woodrow Wilson in, in addition to baby Hitler. And, I thought people would be like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, he made some good points about messaging. So anyway, who are we going to pick for our VP candidate? And instead, they they started like coalescing around me. And I'm like, oh. And then I'm like, all right, well, but eventually, this was, you know, January, February of 2020. I'm like, you know, at some point, you know, big names are going to come in. And then Larry Sharp came in. And I'm like, well, there we go. Larry Sharp's the most popular libertarian in the party that I'll just, you know, he'll probably get it. I'm going to give it my, my all. I'm going to, you know, do my damnedest. We're going to do debates. We're going to do whatever. And then I start, I continued to pull ahead of Larry and people thought I won the, the, it wasn't actually a debate. It was like a town hall, but people thought I won that, whatever that means. And I'm like, okay. And then, and then, uh, um, Justin Amash gets into the race. I'm like, there we go. Justin Amash is going to come in and probably win the thing first ballot because he's Justin Amash. And right. he's, I, I can't imagine he's going to want to be paired with Vermin Supremes, whatever. He's going to do what Gary Johnson did uh, to Larry Sharp. Larry was the front runner for the VP race. And, uh, you know, Gary comes in and says, nah, pick this guy instead, who no one really knows because he's my bud. And that's what Justin Amash is going to do. He's going to come in and say, like, pick. I don't know, Mark Sanford or something like that, Wh whoever he would have as his running mate. I don't think he's going to be like, yeah, you guys pick your own person. So that's mm. going to end that. Then he drops out. And so by, and, and when my wife realized what had happened was when she was uh, listening to me calling all the delegates, because, because I, my background's in cold calling and sales. So I'm like, all right, so what do I got to do? I got to get 500 and some odd delegate votes. The, who are my, so I, I go to all the different state affiliates and, and, and our, and our uh, team leads in the different states, if we had one or in the region, if we, we had one in every region and, and, and said, who do, who are the delegates that, you know, are a hard no for me in Vermin? Like not, not maybe like hard no. And they're like, all right, we got about 250, 300 hard no's. I'm like, all right, I'll call them first. So I called them and then I'm like, who are the maybes and who, you know, whatever. And, 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 and worked my way there. And, uh, my wife and I realized what was happening when I would call hard nose and by the end of the call, they either were supporting me or sometimes me and Vermin, or at the very least, they, were, they had a favorable opinion of me. Whereas when they first, you know, when I first called them, they're like, yes, what do you want? And I will, I do believe, um, I certainly can't take all the credit, but I, I will take some credit for the fact that Vermin did so well all the way to the final ballot. Um, but I, so all that to say, um, that's ultimately when I, so it was in like May 
early May that I'm like, I'm the front runner. And at this point, I don't think that's going to change. But I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, I'm like, all right, something's going to happen. And that'll be okay when it happens. You know, I will have made my point and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, the final, the shoe's going to drop was in the, uh, actually, I guess the second to final shoe's going to drop was in the debate, the final, the actual debate, the one that Jim Turney hosted that's on YouTube mm. between me and and Larry and, uh, and Ken. And uh, after that, I'm like, I think I might've won that. And then I looked at the comments and everyone's like, Spike won that, Spike won that. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's, this is happening. And then after Vermin lost and Joe got it, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I won't get it now. But I started, you know, people were reaching out to me and said, we did a whip count after the fact you're still in it. People are saying Jorgensen Cohen. And I'm like, okay, all right. So then I got it. So, uh, I, I had a, it, I, it, it was weird. I, I, I went in that day fairly confident, but literally every day before I was waiting for the shoe to drop. <clears throat> nice. Yeah, because you had every endorsement other than the Prags, right? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Or like yeah. the, you know, the the important one. You had the Mises and the Radical, and obviously and the, the Mises Waffle House Caucus. Caucus. Well, yeah, actually, no, the Waffle House Caucus. I said we were staying neutral because I didn't want to mm. be seen as, you know, whatever. Because they were like, we should do that's... a poll. I'm like, no, we're not. Because if I win it, it's going to be oh well, of course that's Spike's Caucus, blah blah blah. And I'm like, no, we'll just, right. this is not a, we don't do endorsements. This is a, a this is the anti. Sir, this is a waffle house. Caucus. Yeah, this is a waffle house. Like we're just talking about waffles and donkeys. <laughs> or something. I forget what the donkeys are about. But anyway, so we um, there was a reason for the donkeys, but I forget. Um, but right. we still talk about them. Um, so anyway, so all that to say, I, I just um, uh, yeah, it was the Mises caucus, the radical caucus, a bunch of people uh, like just, you know, various uh uh, prominent libertarians elected officials were endorsed me um i didn't get the prague nomination i came in i think i think i came in third for that um and um the audacious caucus uh uh was this was you know a different time uh, audacious caucus was going to endorse me but one member uh of the uh, uh of the nomination committee was losing their their gourd so they 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 decided not to nominate anyone but um but uh yeah different time but um but yeah so uh, yeah it was pretty much it was uh it's crazy how much has changed in two years it you know because yeah (laughs) yeah so we have we have a question from the audience um some someone named uh caitlin wants to know uh what your favorite uh campaign social media post was during the campaign Oh, probably the meme contest that that got my parents angry at me. That would be that would that's that's definitely my favorite one. So I I I'm on the bus tour. So during the bus tour, I was largely the team would come to me with like 
content about about I, I would either say to them i want to you know talk about this and i'd give them something to, to put out everywhere because i didn't even have time to do it myself it was that crazy or they would say hey uh you know we need a hot take on on something and either they would write something up and i'd, I'd change it a little bit and then they put it out or i would write something up and they do whatever and put it out but then they'd have other stuff that didn't really need my signing off, like, you know, a meme contest or come see me at such and such. Like it didn't need me to be like, yes, this is okay. It was just to drive attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, you know, people on the bus would put up random videos of me trying to moonwalk and stuff on Instagram and things like that. And so, um, it's a very interesting campaign, but, uh, so the, um, so the, the meme contest happened sometime in August, actually around this time, uh, last year. And, uh, and so the meme contest, it was me holding, it was right after I was in Cincinnati and I held up a sign. I forget what the sign even said originally. I wonder if Caitlin remembers, but cause she was there, but it was, it said something. Um, but they, what they did was they, they blocked that out, whatever the thing said that I was holding up and they said, meme contest, what is the message that spikes holding? And I forget what even won, but it's, you put a politician with it holding up a freaking, you know, uh, blank sign, you're going to get all sorts of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. So there was some rough stuff that, that got put out there. And, not, and I mean, you know, most of it I found funny. But so I get a call from my mother. Actually, I get a call from my wife saying, you need to call your mom. She's very upset about the contest. And I'm like, it said not left, not right, just free. Oh yeah, we and then it said a lot of other things after that. <laughs> um, so, um, so my my wife calls me because she this is before she joined me on the bus tour, and she's like, "You need to call your mother. She's very angry at you." And I'm like, or she's very disappointed or something. And I'm like, "For what?" She's like, "The contest." I'm like, "What contest? I didn't even know about this meme contest." Oh, so wow. then, so I call my mother, and she's like, "There are some horrid pictures of you holding up a sign." that say some of the worst things and you need to take them down. Your father and I are very upset. Your father is, I spoke with him at length and he is not happy. And I'm like, what are, what, what? And so I con- I think it was Caitlin I contacted and I'm like, what's going on? She's like, oh, there's a meme contest. We do whatever. And I'm like, are we posting this stuff? She's like, no, it's in the comments. People are posting it on their own IG and on their Twitter and stuff. So I call my mother back and I go, listen, this is the internet. I, you know, it's a meme contest. We're not going to pick any of those as the winner. Um, you know, but it's the internet. And she's like, you need to remove them. I'm like, I can't remove them. It's on the internet. And and then I, she said, you know, tell them to stop. And I'm like, that ensures they won't stop. So I'm trying right. to walk her through how the internet, how, you know, like social media culture works. I'm like, if I say, hey folks, this is getting out of hand. You're going to need to stop it. It's going to go to 4chan and it's now going to be me holding up stuff, questioning the Holocaust. Like it's going to go, like if I try to say, don't do this, it's going to go on a completely different level. People who have no idea who I even am are going to be putting stuff out there. So I was just like, I just ignored the nonsense. We, you know, we didn't, I think we hid some comments that, you know, on the Facebook post or whatever Mm -hmm. that were pretty rough, but you know, we just let it ride. And every once in a while I'll see someone use that and it's for something, whatever, but we wrote it out. Like the, the, the hardest stuff was, was written out. So that's probably my favorite because it actually got my parents angry at me. And it was a reminder. I don't think I ever, I don't think I'd had a conversation like that with my parents since I was in my late teens or early twenties where it's like your father and I are very disappointed. 
and you need to do something about this. And it was like, like I've been, a, I've been, you know, I'm at this point I was 38 and uh, I'm 39 now, but I was, I was 38 and I was having my mother tell me like, this is not, we are not happy. We're, we're disappointed. We're angry, but we're mostly disappointed. So that would be my favorite one. Yeah, that would be, that would be interesting to have to get a lecture like that, that age. While you were on, I'm on a bus with my name on it running for right. vice president of the United States of America. Right. And my mother calls me and says, that meme is unacceptable. This is unacceptable. Um, <laughs> and also, pee isn't stored in the balls. So, you know, <laughs> write that down. Um, yeah. So that was my, I'd say that was my favorite. That, I, I, I must have missed that one. Uh, yeah, it was funny. It was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because we've talked about this in person, um, but like I met you on the uh, primary tour uh, in New yeah, Hampshire, in, in New Hampshire, and didn't realize that you were the VP nominee that I was talking to. I was just, I literally thought that you were just a, a groupie. So at <laughs> like, that point, I wasn't. At that point, I wasn't the nominee yet. I was the proposed. Or, I was Berman's proposed running mate. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Running. Yeah, um, but. Yeah. So wait, it, were you were so this was it was in New Hampshire outside of the Tulsi Gabbard uh watch party, right? Is yeah. that where we met? So yep. were you there when the lady started having convulsions and they had to like bring an ambulance? Mm. Yes. Okay, so you were there during okay, all right. Because I don't remember meeting you, and it's not an insult to you. Yeah, I <laughs> met like fifty thousand people that day. That was insane. Yeah, like, holy crap. What's that crazy? And it underscores what I talk about that. Like, can you imagine if we picked our nominee sooner and then the nominee could go to New Hampshire as the nominee and interact with all those people who are mostly going to be disappointed? Yeah. Most of those people at that point were thinking, holy crap, it's going to be Pete Buttigieg is mm -hmm. going to be who everyone was calling boothead head because <laughs> vermin had done that thing where he's like, Pete Buttigieg, stop using my name, Boothead, or Pete Boothead Head, stop using my name, Boothead Head. And, and that became like people were chanting Boothead Head. Um, but at that point, people thought it was going to be Pete Buttigieg. Now, Bernie Sanders won that primary, but he, that was expected to happen. But Pete Buttigieg came in second, and, you know, Tulsi lost big, mm -hmm. and um, uh, um, Andrew Yang, Yang lost dropped big. out. Lang, Yang dropped out. We were actually there when he dropped out. We actually left the, the Tulsi event as she was getting there. That was funny. Um, as she was getting there uh, to go and, and console the, the Yang gangers. Um, imagine if our nominee had been there. But yeah, we met we met outside there when the lady started um, mm -hmm. whatever happened there, uh, seizing or whatever. And I no. was out there with that was what I was there with uh, Lord Buckethead and yeah. uh, and Vermin Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a trip i i'm just like standing outside uh of an event that i like helped plan and i'm on like the national team for and like yep. i'm an important person in that room like for the first time in my life uh right. and i'm standing outside with a dude with a boot on his head <clears throat> a full suit of armor and yeah. and uh, a horse on a stick smoking weed just just chilling 
just hanging out like 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 you would do in Manchester. Like, right. Like, welcome to Manchester. I mean, yeah. There really isn't anything <laughs> else to do in Manchester. Well, that's the thing. You got to bring your own entertainment, right? Right. Like if, you're, if, you, if you're hanging out in Manchester and you're not like a like a, a serial alcoholic, uh, then you got to bring you'll your own. You'll become one. one. You'll yeah. be, oh, you'll become. Yeah, no, you will definitely. If the cold doesn't do it, the boredom will. Um, oh. But you'll become one, right? Like you have to bring your own fun. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I had a head on the stick. Yeah, I was there for I was there for almost four months. Uh, really? For for Tulsi's campaign, yeah. I w- I moved there in November, so yeah, like three and a half, almost four months. I was I lived in Manchester, New Hampshire. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I actually that, start it started to grow on me a little bit. I it was weird. Well, because it's fairly similar to where I grew up. Like I'm from Syracuse, oh. New York, which is oh, a similarly uh, like. Uh, industrial city kind of run down. It's about the same cold. size, so very yeah, cold. cold. Um, rust, rust belt, cold. Yeah, but so Manchester is kind of like a Syracuse where there isn't a seatbelt law or income tax. So it's I kind of dig it. That <laughs> is, but the 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 growing on you phase is, is actually seasonal depression. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was so fucking cold. And I had been living in New York City for a while. So I was not, I had not purchased the necessary winter clothing in in multiple years. I lived in New York City for four years. Uh, and it just doesn't get, you don't get to like boots and a, and like a, a thick winter coat level in New York city. Cause you're, you're into the subway quickly or whatever. So yeah, you're a, not outside a suit long plus enough. an overcoat yeah. is fine. Like that's like three layers and you're fine. So I'm out here like knocking doors in rural New Hampshire in December in a fucking like suit with just like a wool, like overcoat and like maybe a sweater between the the shirt and the suit jacket to like try to layer up as much as i could in dress shoes not boots in dress shoes wow walking through the snow in rural new hampshire so i uh i came to the new hampshire primaries from south carolina from myrtle beach it was 60 degrees when i left here and I went to first, I stopped in New York first to meet uh, uh, Deborah uh, Altman, who uh, was the first uh, and only libertarian elected official in New York City. Uh, she was on the uh, city city council and uh, um, or the school board, the city, the school board. Yeah, the city school board, the city school council or whatever it was called. And so and so I went and hung out with her for a day in, in New York and I was already cold there. And I thought. It's not snowing here. It's snowing in New Hampshire. And I, I, I have family in, in Vermont and New Hampshire and Maine. I know that area in mm-hmm. Massachusetts. I know that whole upper, like that whole New England area. Uh, it's, it, it's a different kind of cold. And I was going there in February, pretty much the coldest time of year. And uh, so I had my coldest clothes. When I got there, my brother's like, yeah, no, this is not going to work you're going to have, he, he lives up there and he's like, yeah, you're going to need the, these gloves instead of these gloves. And you're going to need these socks instead of these socks. So even still, I was actually well-dressed for the cold, but I'm not from there. And mm-hmm. so my feet and legs did routinely get numb and I would have to come back in and warm up enough that I could feel them again and then go back out. And if I had been doing anything other than, you know, campaigning, I would have never, I would have been like, this is too cold. I'm, I'm leaving. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it was it was it was brutal. It was brutal. So I will say, if I if you know if I purchase, if you find out that I purchased um, like the the powered heated thermal clothing, um, like the, the 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 really expensive uh, you know winter wear that has the built in heaters, uh-huh. dude, I'm running for president because that means that I intend to go to Iowa and, and New Hampshire and, and during their primaries and you know pound the pavement there. Good to know. Um, and I'm, I will, and I'm, I will I'm, have I'm, someone I'm, monitor your Amazon account. Yeah, yeah. Watch my Amazon wish list, and if uh, if I end up purchasing that, or if I get hair plugs, those are the two things. Because I don't really like. <laughs> I don't care how my how my hair looks, obviously. And I I'm it is what it is, right? Like I, I do a little thing here, and it's whatever. Like I don't care. And you know, I I have a very Ashkenazi Jewish hairline. Um, it, you know, I'm losing it here. I'm losing it in the back. I don't wear a yarmulke at this point. I'd be pandering if I did. And I, you know, it's what it is. And so I, I, and I'm cool with it. Like it is what it is. But when I was campaigning, man, did I get a lot of crap about my hair? You know, you're losing your hair in the back. Oh, really? No, I didn't know that. Thank you for noticing that for me and telling me and everyone else. Um, if only to shut people up, if I ran for, for president or if I ran for a big office, uh, I would get hair plugs. I'm not going to do it otherwise. Um, so if I get hair plugs and or if you see me buying like, you know, the, the powered heated wear, then n- know that I'm, I'm I'm serious about running. It's All not right. just an exploratory committee. I'm going to run. Just All right. We will. We will definitely be be watching for that. OK, good. <laughs> so we, we talked about like how you how you coalition built within the party to get the nomination, getting the yep. endorsement of like a lot of the big. Uh, caucuses. Then you went on in the actual general race to get some nominate or some endorsements that are uh, unusual, uh, including like BLM seven five seven and a couple of like uh, a lot. You we got a lot more like local newspaper endorsements than normal. We got like yep. you guys picked up a decent amount of endorsements, uh, but especially I want to talk about seven five seven. Talk, tell tell everybody a little bit about how that happened and then some, maybe some other key endorsements so i i uh black lives matter 757 is a uh, they're based in virginia beach that's what 757 is uh, the area code or one of the area codes there in in virginia beach um in the newport news area which is like virginia beach uh or the hampton roads area which is hmm. virginia beach newport news Norfolk, like that whole, that whole coastal area of, of, um, Virginia. And, um, the, uh, I honestly, I really just went in and kind of sealed the deal that heavy lifting was already being done by a local Boog Boys group that was making inroads with, with BLM 757 and with, um, uh, and I'm not sure who reached out to Maj Teray's group, Black, Black Guns Matter. Um, but, they basically just asked me if I could come and speak at, at an event they had set up. And it was them. It was it was BLM 757, the Boog Boys, Black Guns Matter. Maj wasn't able to be there, but his group was there. And the Black Panthers and the Huey P. Newton Gun Club. And they asked me, can you come and speak at our, at our event? I'm like, yes, definitely. And so I went there with a very concise message, which is 
if we're going to say so, you know, a, a, a big phrase uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement is all lives can't matter until black lives matter. Well, yeah, that intuitively makes sense. If, if you can't say that this group's life matters, people in the, individuals that are in this group's life matter, then you can't say everyone's life matters, because if no one if only if, if for no other reason than their life doesn't matter, then everyone else. does. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of an axiom. Right. And now let's go a little bit further. Can you say that a black person's life matters? If they themselves don't believe it, can you say that a black person's life matters if they aren't able to defend their life? And so I literally went there and just said, listen, gun rights is not just about, you know, uh, I, I can I can shoot guns if I want to or I can, you know, uh, do target practice. Gun rights are about the ability at your at its core to be able to defend yourselves. And, you know, this is in the midst of, you know, protests and riots happening across the country over um, the, the George Floyd murder and the Breonna Taylor murder and, and you know, the, just the general discontent over police brutality in general and mistreatment of people of color in the criminal justice system. And so I go there and I'm like, all right, we're in the middle. The event was in the middle, the dead center of the government in uh, in in the in the state capital, Richmond. And we're standing between the I, I always forget if it's the governor's mansion or the the congressional building, the Capitol building and the Supreme Court. I actually stood on the steps of the Supreme Court to, to give my speech and talk with people and do Q&A. And we're in the middle of government and I'm talking about police brutality. And I stopped and I said, do you see any police officers around here? And we couldn't. And so after the event, we went around and, and played spot the cop. And we finally found one like four blocks away down the bottom of the hill, you know, behind their cruisers looking like this. And it was because there was like 100 plus armed people there. Now, here we've been told that uh, and I said and I said this, you know, here we've been told, you know, well, black people can't protest because they get, you know, brutalized. They get, you know, kettled in, they get tear gassed, pepper sprayed and rounded up. Mm -hmm. That's not happening here. They're not even anywhere near you because no one brings tear gas to a gunfight. So they don't have to like that you have guns, but they're certainly respecting it. Mm -hmm. And they're certainly giving you the distance to be able to talk about this stuff. And so on the strength of, of that conversation and on future on the spot, we got the endorsement from BLM 757 that has continued to this day. Uh, um, uh, Jafari, who is the head of BLM 757, he recently referred to me as the greatest rapper of all time. I saw um, that. And <laughs> just, which is, it's not true, but I, I, I'm not a rapper. I'm more like a Damon Dash it's a, type. It's a fire like, mixtape, though. It's a great mixtape. I'm more of a, of, I just say truthful things, but I, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to rhyme to a beat uh, very well. Um, my name is Spike Cohen, and I'm here to say, if you cross the street, you best look both ways. <laughs> you look so proud. Just... <laughs> I did it. I rapped. I rapped, everyone. Oh my god. That's proud. that's going to be the clip for the promo for sure. That's the clip. <laughs> that's it right there. And then me going, I did it. I rapped. Uh and this part too, of course. There's your clip. So, yeah, I I was I was finally actually paying attention to the campaign by the time that that happened uh cuz I checked out of the the LP not not from the party but just from like the the presidential race after yeah. like coming off of the Tulsi Gabbard campaign uh I 
I got a little bit spoiled. Like that was a, a like really broke, fairly dysfunctional, uh, like typical anti-establishment campaign. It looked kind of like a libertarian campaign, but it was still like so much more put together than anything that I had worked on. And she as a candidate was just, you know, I never had to worry about like, if she was going to say something dumb. You know, I like, right. she, you know, yeah. she, she was one, almost the ideal candidate and the, at least like higher level campaign team was all really strong. We were, we were a fucking family, like, especially like we were, we all lived in the same house in New Hampshire for four months. Like we got really close. And so after, after she dropped out and, you know, we were going through the nomination process, uh, you know, I was team Amash there for a minute. And then when he dropped out, I was like, all right, fine. Y'all can do whatever the fuck you want. And, <laughs> and I will vote for whichever person you pick, which actually ended up not being true. Cause I was uh, in the middle of moving at the time and wasn't in my state of registration on election day. But I was wow. like, I'll, I will vote for you whoever why we pick. didn't win. Yes. You were why we didn't get 5%. Yep. yep. It is all my vote. Uh, it's all my fault. Actually, fun fact, if I had been in the state of New York, I could have voted twice on election day. Oh, because of the multiple ticket thing or? Uh, no. So in in New York, uh, there, for some unknown reason, the New York City Board of Elections is like the only part of the state whose Board of Elections is like fairly separate from the rest of the state. It's okay. it's really dumb, uh, but sometimes it means that they don't talk to each other correctly. So I was registered both in Brooklyn and in upstate simultaneously for oh, over wow. a year. I had two active voter registrations in the same state, uh, and it actually cost me a libertarian state committee uh, race because even though I had re-registered as a libertarian upstate where I was trying to run for the state committee, I was still a registered still Democrat a in Brooklyn because I wow. registered Democrat so that I could petition for Tulsi. So, and so, so David, David Fight was an upstate New York libertarian, but David Feitzenschmidt was... <sighs> was a a, a a new york city democrat which does not i mean that kind of name I mean, <laughs> yeah right of course <laughs> new york city and democrat is obvious if if, yeah. if you came Robert. up to me and said hi i'm david fights and i'd say and you're a, a new york city democrat you'd say well yes of course but yes of course uh but yeah so the fact that i was still a registered democrat even though even though the libertarian registration happened long after and much more recently uh I, I lost an election over that shit because <laughs> because we, we're libertarian. We care about what matters. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if I had been in New York, I literally could have voted here and then driven six hours into Brooklyn and wow. voted again. You're why you're why the I'm why uh, Trump lost. Libertarian Party isn't on the the ballot. That's why yeah. you lost. Yeah. That's why you lost because they yeah. went, oh you were registered twice and didn't even vote once. Sad. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, uh, and you were, your experience was not uncommon. I, there was a shocking number of people that when I, you know, when I'd call our donor list from the, you know, the people that maxed out for Gary Johnson and I'd say, uh, yeah, you know, I'm with the Jorgensen Cohen ticket. They're like, oh, what are you running for? I'm like president, vice president. They're like, I thought that was Justin Amash this time. And I'm like, no, nah, he dropped out back in April. 
And it, a lot of people just kind of checked out. Or they heard a mosh and they went, Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I guess a mosh. And and uh and then checked out again, like you know, the people that weren't directly involved, which is what's interesting about the Libertarian Party, and it's why I won it, is because you could win it doing retail sales. Like mm -hmm. I could literally contact it took a long ass time but i could call hundreds of people and get them on my side and um which is why and i wanted to show like these are the things we have to do we have to be talking to people directly building those connections building coalitions going out and talking to normies like this is how we do it and and post campaign um i've still been continuing to do that going around the country and saying you know this and not just saying but showing Build coalitions, do events with them, uh, push for legislative changes. You know, uh, uh, people that were inspired by my message uh, uh, created for all Tennessee. Two people, Justin Cornett and uh, Josh Eckel, the former chair of um, mm -hmm. of the Tennessee party. They created for all Tennessee and they are now in their state legislature. They've gotten a ban on uh, no knock raids. They've gotten a major reform on civil asset forfeiture. We're now uh, you get to have a, a public defender uh, on your app, uh, civil asset forfeiture case, which means now it doesn't make sense to steal 500 bucks from someone. It's got to be at least several thousand dollars to be worth anyone's time. So now they're leaving poor people alone uh, because it's going to cost more for the public defender than what it would cost, what they would get from the money. Um, mm -hmm. They got a, a um, uh, duty to uh, intervene, which is uh, a, an officer who doesn't intervene in another officer breaking the law or violating, violating someone's rights will be now uh, committing a felony. Um, and uh, nice. which means now all the activists who are recording these incidents on their camera, they don't just record the officer. They record all the other officers that are just standing there and asking them what their names and badge numbers are and saying, hey, officer, I'm seeing a law breaking happening over there. Why aren't you intervening? Which is your duty. And um, and so, you know, that's two libertarians doing, you know, the, the work on the grassroots in their state legislatures. And so we're going around the country not just saying this at state conventions, which I'm doing that as well, but also showing it, doing homelessness outreach events in Tennessee, doing uh, police accountability events in Ohio, and not just events where we show up and talk, but events where we get together and push for legislative changes and then do the work of pushing for that at, in our cities and counties and states and so forth. And, um, you know, that's I, uh, this weekend I'm going to be at the Ohio Ohio conference, but then I'm also going to be at the um, the police accountability event in Columbus. Mm -hmm. Then in uh, on Tuesday I'm going to be at the event in Alabama um, uh, to, to to raise awareness there and to to build a coalition to fight against. It's really the Republicans there in Alabama. They're they're the Democrat Party really just doesn't exist there um, in any real way. They're just right. it's Alabama. Um, and uh, and then um, the following weekend I'll be in Somerville, South Carolina, doing the same thing. Like this is how we do it. And uh, that was, I, I believe that's how, why I got the nomination was I, I hustled and I showed people like, this is what we have to do. Um, I thought that they would take the message and then, you know, pick someone that they knew better, like, you know, Larry or whoever Justin Amash asked for or whatever. And instead they, they liked it so much coming from me, they, they picked me. So mm -hmm. now you're stuck with me, guys. Well, this is a good I, choice. Uh, sure. Well, and I have been really encouraged uh, this year by, I mean, you kind of, you kind of threw some shade earlier uh, and I'll, I'll throw more. Uh, the 2020 uh, ticket, like the, all of the candidates, even like primary candidates have most of, almost all of them have stuck around. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
uh, I saw a video of Lincoln Chafee and Judge Jim Gray speaking on behalf of an elected libertarian state legislator in Wyoming uh, for cannabis uh, legalization. Like, yeah. they're out there doing shit. You're yeah. still around. Joe's still around. Uh, you know, Amash is still putting in work. You know, there's yeah. Yeah. all all of those people that put in work last year are still putting in work this year, and that's something that we really haven't seen in the past. In the recent past. So this is actually how it used mm -hmm. to be. Harry Brown stuck around. Yeah. Around until he decided to run for Congress, and then he was a Republican. Hi. Hey. There we hey. go. So everyone kind of stuck around until we went into this phase uh, of let's just pick, let's push our our, our um, nominating schedule back to, you know, like April or May of the year of the election. And that way we can try to get some of the Republican and Democrat losers from their primary um, and, or, or dropouts and, and get them to join us. And that's how we ended up with Bob Barr. And that's how we ended up with Gary Johnson. And, and you know what? I, I actually, I have a, a, a Gary Johnson. I'm actually mostly okay with Bill Weld was a bridge too far for me, but you know, Gary Johnson was, was okay. Bob Barr. What, what, why? Um, but all, all that to say that they didn't stick around because they weren't part of the movement. They mm -hmm. came in for a specific purpose, right? And that's fine. But but we need to grow this as a movement. And if we recognize that we're not going to win, if 2024, the likelihood of the presidential camp candidate winning the White House, is it legally possible? Sure. Yes. Is that likely to happen? No, it's not likely to happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to say we're going to lose. And if, if I ran or whoever does run needs to run to win I, in 2020, I definitely ran to win. I went to 38 damn states, 37 states, 35 states, whatever I went to. And, and to combine, Joe and I went to 48 states and we had all sorts of campaign events. We also only had four, effectively four months to campaign because the in-person uh, convention wasn't until July, which, by the way, while I'm here, I'll go ahead and push it. There is a, uh, a, ball a um, bylaws amendment that has been drawn up by Tom Arnold and others inspired by what I and my wife Tasha have been saying, which is that we need to push back to how it used to be where we're picking our candidate towards the end of the year before give the candidate a year to run, give the delegates a year to lick their wounds over whoever their original pick was not getting it so that you don't have these people still, you know, weeks later that are still upset that their candidate didn't win. Give them that time to process who the candidate is and see our, you know, see that that candidate is, you know, still a good libertarian, especially compared to the Republicans and Democrats. Let that candidate be able to go to the Republican and Democrat primaries across the states and actually get some attention. Let them have time to go to the donors and actually present a plan. Let them have time to put together their branding and everything else. Like we're not giving them enough time, but we did everything we could. And in the meantime, until we are at a point where we need to win, we need to focus on growing the movement. We need to focus on bringing people into the movement. And there are some that say we need to focus entirely on people that already identify as libertarian but haven't actually joined the party. 
I think we should certainly be talking to them, but I don't think we need to limit ourselves there. First of all, uh, if you really want to get depressed, uh, according to the, the the data from the the data analytics team, the majority of registered libertarians want universal health care, meaning like Medicare for all or government run health care. So registered libertarian doesn't think mean what you may think it means. They registered third party mm-hmm. to express discontent with the system. They're not necessarily all libertarians just because yeah. they self-selected as libertarian. They're probably more likely to be, but not necessarily. We need to be reaching out to everyone. And we're, mm-hmm. we're not going to get eventually be able to get to making the cultural changes that then lead to the political changes of us getting 35, 40% to be able to win a competitive three-way rate. That's not going to happen by just reaching out to people that are already calling themselves libertarians. We need to reach out to everyone, not by right. pandering to them, but by just validating their concerns, demonstrating that we understand how we got here, and then presenting the solutions for how we can fix it. If we do that, it works. Hell yeah. Uh, You were talking earlier about uh, politics as retail sales. And, you know, I I think about it a lot as like, you know, hot leads versus like cold leads, or just like basic marketing. Uh, You know, you're not, you're not going to run a business where the only people that you reach out to are like existing customers and their referrals. And that's it. Like until, until you are very well established. Right. Yes, you were correct. And even then you're always wanting to get, you get to go out to cold right. leads. I love you're still, you're, yeah. You're, yeah, you're still going to contact uh, like people that are looking for your product, but have no idea yep. who you are. Uh, and then you're also going to contact people that don't even know that they want your product, but you're going to try to implant in their brain that they need your product and then try to sell to them. You're, and, and while you're doing that, you're not ignoring your existing customers or their referrals. And you're still yep. making sure to capitalize on the referrals as quickly and as Absolutely. sufficiently as possible. Because I think that's another like dichoto- like false dichotomy that we have in the movement is you have people will hear, hear what you're saying and they'll be like, oh, we can't abandon the, like they'll they'll act like like that means we can't reach out to those uh, small L libertarians. And obviously it would be moronic for us to ignore that group of people. Absolutely, especially since this is not just a strict sales model of you buy this, thank you, you're now a customer. This is more like multi-level marketing. We're trying to build a downline of people who are going to go out and also try to get people. So of mm-hmm. course, we're going to reach out to everyone we can, including those that are already our qualified leads who we can bring in. But those these things are mutually, uh, are mutually inclusive. We're not going to be... Do you know why many people that are libertarians don't stay in the libertarian party or don't join us? Because we don't win. We don't grow. We bring them in. They go, yeah, we all agree on this. Let's end all this shit. Now what? Yes. We're going to we're gonna express more discontent. Yes, dis- I'm discontented with the current system. I requested the exact opposite of what's currently happening. This is, I'm not happy. Yes. Now what? We are not, we're still, we're going to, pro- we're going to protest. We're, I'm going to protest what's happening out here. Fantastic. Wait, are we going to? Are, who's getting elected we're not we're not getting a lot of people elected we get some elections but we're not we're not really we're not really growing we're gonna need your help though and then they leave mm-hmm. like this is people want to see that you're let's use my nomination as sort of a a, a a case study okay no one knew who i was 
in the in the party. I had been podcasting where my main focus was on like reaching normies with an entertaining show and bringing them into libertarianism. So some people knew me in the liberty movement, but I wasn't well known in the party, right? Like even after I got the nomination, people were like, "Who the hell is Spike Cohen?" Right? Yeah. And and so this and this, I mean, even to this day, there are still people in the movement that are like, "Who?" And I mean, it's it's because no one knew who I was, and the reason I was able to win was because I immediately went to work building coalitions, talking directly to people who were against me mm -hmm. and bringing them, at least getting them agreeable to understanding that I was coming from the right place. Even if I still wasn't their top pick, they at least were comfortable with me now. I became a lot of people's second pick, right? Um, I went out and reached people that never heard of our message and I showed the people that were already here, like you said, our, our qualified people, hey, look what I'm doing. And not just look what I'm doing. I'm so great. You should vote for me. But look what I'm doing. We can all be doing this. Because right now, I'm not even the nominee. When I was doing a lot of that stuff last year, I wasn't even the nominee. Yeah. No one knew who the hell I was. But I was still going out there and talking to folks. We can all do this, right? So make coalitions. Reach out to the people that's, that are either hard-nosed or have no idea who you are. Reach out to just the general audience who's not even that interested in politics, but because everyone is interested in what's happening in life right now. There's no one who doesn't have an opinion about the pandemic. There's no one that doesn't have an opinion about healthcare. There's no one that doesn't have an opinion, even if the opinion is, I don't like how things are going. Mm -hmm. Great. You're already halfway to being a libertarian. You already recognize the current system sucks. Now we can talk about how we can fix it, right? So, yep. you know, this is how we're going to win. And it's, it's going to be a long, tough slog. But it's going to it's going to be a and this is why I talk about a culture of winning. We can build a culture of winning by showing people that we are making the steps to win. Mm -hmm. And and when we do that, then then we get there and we we it doesn't happen overnight uh, and it may not happen in one or two election cycles. But we've been doing this for 50 years, folks. Like, how about 50 years from now? We're actually winning or or sooner. Like yeah. we already know the current the the way that we had been doing it wasn't working right so let's do the things needed to not just get two or three hundred elected libertarians let's get thousands of elected libertarians let's focus on the races we can win let's get libertarians into those seats let's make changes at the local grassroots level we don't believe in said why are we so worried about trickle down liberty we're going to get one person elected to the white house and then they're going to just trickle down liberty to everyone else it doesn't work mm. it's never going to happen it's not even what we believe Stop with the strongman nonsense. There is not one person who's going to lead us all to victory. It's going to be all of us working together at a grassroots level to grow this movement into a viable alternative to the mess that people hate right now. Here, here. Well, that's a, uh, I don't even want to follow that up. That's a pretty good place to end. Like, <laughs> I don't even want to try to try to talk after that, but tell people uh, a, how to, how to, watch your show and when it is, uh, where to find you on social media. And then I've got your website scrolling across the bottom. Tell people yeah, yeah. why that's important and what they can Spike do. SpikeOwen.com. You go to that, SpikeOwen.com. So my shows uh, on Tuesday nights uh, at 8 are uh, is the, uh, the Money Waters of Freedom. And then on Wednesday nights at 8 uh, is My Fellow Americans. In fact, tonight at 8, uh, my guest is going to be King Randall, who uh, has actually been uh, adopting and fostering children and putting them in a school that he set up. This guy's like 22 or something like that. Uh, it's an incredible story. And uh, I'm going to uh, have him on. 
Um, those are all on Muddied Waters Media. You can see that on all social media platforms, all podcasting platforms, or you can go to muddywatersmedia.com. Uh, join us on Muddy Waters Media on YouTube. Subscribe and then hit the bell. I want your phone to explode with notifications. Also, subscribe and hit the bell for Fight for Liberty if you haven't already. I want you, I want your phone to blow up multiple times over the day as we go live. Um, and um, and then uh, me personally, my my uh, you know political uh, uh, pursuits going around helping grow the mess grow the, the the liberty movement. That's uh, you can find Spike Cohen on all social media, pretty much Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I'm on TikTok for the kids. And uh, SpikeCohen.com, uh, that's where all my uh, media and events are. So if I'm doing an event in your area, feel free to come out. I'd love to meet you, answer any questions you have. And uh, thank you for having me on, Mr. Fights and Schmidt. I appreciate that. It was a pleasure. It was, it's, always, it's always an honor to get to talk to the founder of the Waffle House Caucus. Thank you. All right, guys. The second largest caucus. The second largest the caucus. Growing, literally the second largest caucus in the planet. I mean, it really, it really could improve culture if if more people treated the Libertarian Party like a Waffle House, like a Waffle House. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. All right, guys. Thanks so much for watching. Uh, we will be back next week with more stuff. Uh, like Spike said, subscribe, click the notification bell, follow us on everything. Uh, go buy some stuff from Nug of Knowledge, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep up the fight.